the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing. Sam Maupin is engineering. And by the way, we'll introduce Sam next week. He's the new engineer for the Georgine Rice Show and throughout the afternoons here on KPDQ. Today, we're looking forward to a conversation with Pastor Greg Allen. He is the pastor of Bethany Bible Church. He's also an adjunct professor at Multnomah University. We're going to talk about footprints of Christmas that are found throughout the scriptures and his advice for this season that will leave all of us not exhausted, but rather um, fulfilled and joyous to up to and through the Christmas celebration. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. But first, we'll take a look at some of the day's news. An advisory panel to the Centers for Disease Control unanimously voted to give a preferential recommendation to mRNA vaccines like those made by Pfizer and Moderna over the one-shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine due to rare but serious blood clots. Well, the CDC temporarily halted Johnson & Johnson's vaccine in April while um, scientists investigated the blood clots, which are known as thrombosis with some other syndrome the name of which I won't attempt to mispronounce. Regulators eventually decided that the benefits of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine outweigh the risks, but the FDA released new data this week showing that more cases have occurred in summer and fall. Women between the ages of 30 and 49 are most affected by the blood clotting issue at a rate of 1 in 100,000 shots. There have been nine deaths linked to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine through September. Only about 16 million doses of That particular vaccine have been administered in the U.S. compared to about 470 million doses of Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. The recommendation now goes to the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, for final approval. I mentioned it's been some weeks ago that there were uh, some 19 Haitian missionaries from the U.S., Uh, That had been um, taken hostage by gangs there in Haiti. Well, we learned today that all of the kidnapped U.S. missionaries are now freed. Two are released earlier. The remaining 17 have now been released. Well, these missionaries uh, who were kidnapped two months ago in Haiti have been freed, Haitian police and the group said. A spokesperson for Haiti's National Police confirmed that the with the Associated Press that the hostages had been released, but did not immediately provide additional details. We don't know, for example, how they're doing. We glorify God for answered prayer. The remaining 12 hostages are free. Christian Aid Ministries, the ministry they were associated with, said in a statement, join us in praising God that all 17 of our loved ones are now safe. Well, the Ohio based group said it hopes to provide more information later. We're feeling great, said Ron Marks, minister of Hart Dunkard Brethren Church in Hart, Michigan, whose members included some of the hostages. Carlton Horst, a member of the Hart congregation, said church members received a text message Thursday morning, this morning, from someone connected to the situation that all of the hostages had been released. A mother and four of her children were uh, who belonged to the church were among the hostages. 
uh, Horst, who is uh, friends with the family, said the church is rejoicing and he's elated that that portion of things is finally over. Just praise the Lord for that. Well, the missionaries were kidnapped by the 400 Mawozo gang on the 16th of October. There were five children in the group of 16 U.S. citizens and one Canadian including an eight-month-old. Their Haitian driver also was abducted, according to a local human rights organization. Well, two of the hostages were released in November, you might recall, and three more earlier this month. They were not identified, but members of the Hart congregation told local media in Michigan that the two were from Hart. Well, in addition to Michigan, the hostages are from Wisconsin, Ohio, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, Oregon, Ontario, Canada. According to the missionary group, today is the day that we have been hoping for, praying for, and working so hard to achieve. That's a quote from Congressman Bill Huinga, whose uh, Western Michigan uh, congressional district includes Hart. I want to thank members of the hostage negotiation team for their diligence in securing the safe release of all the hostages. This is a great day for families in Michigan and across the nation who have been worried about the safety of their loved ones. And while we are grateful for the hostage negotiators and their diligence, those uh, missionaries and church congregants and others who have been praying are thankful to the Lord for this outcome. The leader of the 400 uh, uh, Mao Ozo group, uh, the gang that threatened to kill the hostages unless his demands were met. Uh, authorities uh, have said that the gang was demanding a million dollars per person, although it wasn't clear if that included the children. It remained unclear today whether any ransom had been paid or what efforts led to the hostages being released. The good news is they are released. In other news, the soldiers set to receive the award uh, included uh, Master Sergeant Earl Plumey, a member of the Army's elite special forces who fended off an attack by Taliban suicide bombers in Afghanistan in 2013. Sergeant First Class Christopher Celez, a member of the Army Rangers who died in combat in Afghanistan in 2018. And Sergeant First Class Alwyn Cash, who suffered mortal injuries while famously saving several soldiers from a burning vehicle in Iraq in 2005. President Biden earlier today awarded the Medal of Honor to three veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan. And Mr. Cash became the first black service member to be awarded the Medal of Honor for victims for actions rather in Iraq or Afghanistan. Well, Cash, who has long garnered support to receive the award, became the first member to do so. He was on his second deployment in Iraq in October of 2005 when his unit was ambushed, causing their vehicle to roll over a compression plate that triggered an improvised explosive device That caused the vehicle to burst into flames. Cash began pulling his comrades from the vehicle, even as his fuel-soaked uniform caught fire, returning again and again as the flames spread to pull wounded soldiers from the wreckage. Sergeant Cash saved my life, said one Sergeant Gary Mills, who was with Cash that day in an interview with the Los Angeles Times. With all the ammo inside that vehicle and all those flames... Uh, We'd have been dead in another minute or two. He was flown to a field hospital in Iraq and then to Germany in San Antonio, Texas. But the wounds were too severe. He did not survive the event. He, along with two others, received the Medal of Honor earlier today, granted by the president. Well, if Democrats want to stave off the red wave that cometh their way in midterms next year, they need to um, need a hard pivot to the political middle. That's what politicians tend to do when there's an election. Otherwise, President Biden will become a lame duck in year two of his presidency and tee up a GOP tsunami in 2024. Well, here's Biden's to do list in the new year. Number one. 
Pink Slip, Dr. Anthony Fauci and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention directors, Rochelle Walensky, and replace them with infectious disease experts that can put the pandemic behind us as quickly as possible and politics aside. Two years into this nightmare, the American people have severe pandemic fatigue. This means every day we're still forced to wear masks and be subjected to other endless COVID-19 restrictions is a reminder that oh-so-smart Democrats are no better at managing the pandemic than the former Republican administration they criticized. The inconvenient fact is more Americans have died from COVID-19 on Biden's watch than former President Donald Trump's. As if that really matters. If that failing trend continues another year, Democrats are toast come midterms. Well, there may be other reasons for that, but there's one observation. Number two, get rising gas prices and surging inflation under control. It's no secret Americans vote with their wallets. Every day, working families are spending significantly more for groceries, for food, for heating bills and other essentials under the current rule. They miss Biden's predecessor, not a winning strategy leading into the midterms. Number three, curtail reckless big government socialist spending, which is jacking up inflation and saddling kids, future generations, with astronomical debt. With the U.S. national debt already a whopping $29 trillion and growing, and with the House voting to increase the debt ceiling another $2.5 trillion this week, where does it end? Number four, stop um, uh, designating American parents as domestic terrorists who uh, for standing up at local school board meetings and voicing their concerns about what their kids are learning at school. This uh, false and extremely harmful designation is beyond divisive. It's an outrage that will mobilize voters, including independents, against the Democratic Party deservedly. If Biden wants to keep his party in power, he must instruct Attorney General Merrick Garland and the FBI to stop targeting mom and dad and instead focus their energy on combating real domestic threats such as drug trafficking, which targeted uh, uh, tragically rather killed over 106,000 Americans over a 12 month period ending in April of this year. Well, some things to think about heading into the next year's election. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back. Just a reminder, Pastor Greg Allen from Bethany Bible Church will join me to talk about footprints of Christmas in the scriptures. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up on our second hour, looking forward to a conversation with Pastor Greg Allen of Bethany Bible Church. We're going to talk about footprints of Christmas found in the scriptures and some advice to help all of us approach the season in a way that will be edifying and gratifying. That's coming up in the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. We've been talking about uh, the president's to-do list in the new year. Um, if the president wants to be reelected in the uh, 2024 elections. Number five on that list, bring all remaining Americans home from Afghanistan and hold those responsible accountable for the botched withdrawal. The 13 U.S. military personnel that were needlessly killed in Kabul last summer deserve justice. Number six, get tough on communist China and work with our allies to hold them accountable for their role in the pandemic and subsequent cover-up. If the U.S. doesn't address where and how the COVID-19 pandemic began, including Fauci and the National Institutes of Health, Uh, And their reported role in funding gain-of-function research, then we are sitting ducks for the next pandemic. 
China must also be held to account for its human rights abuses of the Uyghurs and its manufacturing and distribution of illicit chemicals used by drug cartels to make fentanyl, not to mention its escalating threats to seize Taiwan. Number seven, don't allow Russia to invade Ukraine. If the Biden administration rolls over, that will send a signal to China to take Taiwan and encourage other foreign enemies to misbehave as well. One shudders to think of the humanitarian costs, global instability and threats to democracy that will ensue. Number eight, secure the southern border. An open border is a national security threat. If the flow of fentanyl and other deadly drugs into our communities isn't alarming enough, the porous border is also a point of entry for world or rather would be terrorists, drug cartels, sex traffickers and other nefarious actors. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone who crosses the border illegally falls into that category, but it certainly is exploited by those who fall into those uh, under those headings, the president's top responsibility is to protect the homeland, which means that every week that thousands of unvetted and unvaccinated individuals enter the country, uh, the president and his borders are veep. Uh, are failing to do their jobs. Number nine, address the spiraling homelessness crisis in cities across America. If Democrats secure the border, then there will be less fentanyl and other deadly drugs entering our communities, which means less drug addiction and other mental health struggles exacerbating the crisis. Fewer illegal drugs equals less homelessness. This isn't rocket science. And finally, number 10, rein in the far left woke radicals entering too much power are exerting too much power and control within the uh, the party. Most Americans are moderates and turned off by extremists on either side of the aisle. Biden would be wise to be moderate, uh, as he promised he would be on the campaign trail. His administration and party veering too far left is tanking his approval ratings and his vice presidents. Until Team Biden pivots to the center, their poll numbers will continue to sink, fueling continuous negative press coverage. A failure to resolve these issues will empower the GOP for years to come. Well, it's inflation. That's what they're saying. We're going to win in 2022. That's what President uh, Biden said, promised the Democrat National Committee at its holiday party. I want to tell my Republican friends, get ready, pal. You're going to be in for a problem. Well, Nancy Pelosi agrees, saying our country could not be better served than this most experienced, capable hands than yours, President Biden. She said he's just perfect. The timing couldn't be better. End quote. I won't bother to address those statements, but nonetheless, both of these um, individuals are putting their best face on what is increasingly likely to be a big electoral defeat in the 2022 midterms, not to mention the 2024 presidential election, which may or may not go their way. Presidents typically don't fare well in their first midterms, and Biden might exceed them all in failure. Why? To quote a prominent Democrat strategist, it's the economy, stupid. I don't advise young people using the word I'm quoting here. We've written ad nauseum about inflation, employment and the supply chain, all of which are an utter mess right now, thanks to last year's COVID shutdown and the ensuing rampant government spending and interference. Federal spending soared from an already high 21 percent of GDP before the pandemic to more than 30 percent. In the last two years, now, besides being largely composed of unconstitutional redistribution schemes, economically speaking, this has been a disaster. Politicians uh, demand without the supply to match it. Well, political analyst Paul Miringoff puts it this way, and I'm quoting inflation is realities. Well, 
really bad sign, I'll put it that way, to a central element of hubris on the left. The view that the government can do whatever it wants by way of spending, energy policy, etc., and suffer no bad economic consequences. Well, the president, of course, wants more of the same with his Build Back Better boondoggle. He even has the gall to claim that it'll reduce inflation, not increase it. Well, Democrats like Joe Manchin, on the other hand, see the inflationary mess created by the American Rescue Plan earlier this year and aren't keen to double down on it. When the president isn't pitching more government spending, he's going he's doing things like having his EPA tweak the renewable fuel standard to require more ethanol in our gas. Other than eroding older car engines and destroying lawn equipment while decreasing miles per gallon, as well as raising both gas and food prices even further. What's not to like? Well, the Federal Reserve is the other big culprit. The Fed targets um Inflation of about 2% and not long ago. Chairman Jerome Powell warned about the economic challenge of low inflation. Well, inflation is now 6.8%, the worst since 1982. The producer price index, which measures wholesale prices, is up a record 9.6%. And what might be the understatement of the year, Powell said on Wednesday, the inflation that we got was not at all the inflation we were looking for, end quote. I'm sorry, they were looking for inflation? Well, for months, Powell and others insisted that inflation was transitory. It wasn't until last month that the he finally conceded that it's persistent. No kidding, Captain Obvious. Well, on Wednesday, the Federal Reserve announced that it's going to substantially taper off on its bond buying, as well as projecting that interest rates will rise three times next year, not once as it predicted in September. Even at 2% inflation in the highest regressive tax on the American people, high inflation means we get numbers uh, like real wages decreasing 2.3%. Workers certainly feel the pinch, like a, a vice gripping their wallets. That makes the economy a huge issue for voters, and The Hill reports on some shocking poll numbers. Quoting from The Hill, in addition to those expressing concern about inflation and high costs, 46% of respondents to the poll said whatever they named um, as their top issue has been negatively impacted by the federal government in the past few months. That is the highest degree of blame voters have placed on federal government regarding their top concerns since former President Obama's administration. Well, perhaps that's because the federal government is doing more to interfere with the economy than it has since Obama. Is it too much to hope that the American people are finally waking up to the virtues of constitutionally limited government? I'll leave that a rhetorical question. Maybe if uh, everyone keeps feeling the pain in their bank accounts, it could happen if you're optimistic. Well, a former senior senior FBI lawyer who was found guilty of forgery in the Trump-Russia probe has been um, restored to good standing status by the District of Columbia Bar Association, despite not fully completing his probation sentence. That's a report from Real Clear Investigations. Well, the bar had... Uh, a record of repeatedly accommodating um, Kevin Kleinsmith, a now convicted felon who pled guilty in August of 2020 to falsifying a document that was the basis for a surveillance warrant against former Trump campaign official Carter Page. After receiving a 12 months probation sentence, which he first agreed to, Kleinsmith was expected to have his attorney designation stripped. However, the D.C. bar and again, not altogether surprising, didn't pursue that course of action despite longstanding precedent surrounding lawyers committing crimes in legal matters. Well, the bar didn't proactively pursue disciplinary action against him either until five months had passed since he pled guilty and real clear investigations had raised media awareness of the scandal. Well, following the public attention, 
The bar um, then conducted a review of Klein Smith's uh, case, temporarily suspending him in the meantime. Well, they have now um, deter- uh, determined to restore his good standing status in the District of Columbia. So I guess crime does, in some cases, actually pay. Well, Omicron cases in the U.S. are expected to increase soon, according to the Centers for Disease Control. The White House is confident schools will remain open, however. Um, the question is whether or not uh, some of the uh, teachers' unions will allow that to happen. We'll get into that in just a few moments, as well as other top uh, news issues. So stay with us. Also coming up in the second hour of today's program, Pastor Greg Allen from Bethany Bible Church. We're going to talk about uh, Christmas and where we find its footprints in the scriptures. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, Pastor Greg Allen from Bethany Bible Church, Footprints of Christmas Found in the Bible. That's coming up in our second hour today. Well, Omicron cases in the U.S. are expected to increase soon, according to the CDC. The White House is confident schools will remain open, however. Speaking at a White House COVID-19 task force briefing on Wednesday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Rochelle Walensky said that she expected reports of Omicron cases in the U.S. to increase in coming days. The variant of concern has been detected in at least 36 states and agency data based on national genome sequencing uh, sequencing, uh, analysis shows the Omicron variant is estimated to represent around 3% of coronavirus cases in the U.S., including higher estimates in New York and New Jersey. In looking at earlier data on transmissibility of Omicron from other countries, we expect to see the proportion of that particular variant uh, here in the United States continuing to grow in the coming weeks, she said. Earlier data uh, suggests that Omicron is more transmissible than Delta with a doubling time of about two days. Well, the CDC chief said this information means it is vital for all who are eligible to get vaccinated or boosted. In other developments, outgoing uh, National Institutes of Health Director Francis Collins raised eyebrows singing about post-pandemic life. Wearing a suit, playing his guitar, singing the song, the lyrics of which he wrote himself to the tune of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Someday after the pandemic is what he sings. California medics refused to enter a care center to help a man in cardiac arrest due to some COVID-19 law, according to police. Cornell uh, goes to red alert and canceled a graduation ceremony after a student's uh, Omicron outbreak. And five governors have called on the Pentagon to rescind the COVID vaccine mandate for National Guard members. The NFL is discussing a COVID policy change for boosted players, those who have had the vaccine and the booster shot. The Great Plains and Midwest have been slammed with severe storms and suspected tornadoes. Severe storms, possibly including tornadoes, struck Great Plains and upper Midwest states on Wednesday, according to reports. Affected states included Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota and Colorado. There was no immediate word about deaths or injuries. At least 13 tornadoes were reported across Nebraska and Iowa. The National Weather Service reported and winds in those states and Kansas topped 70 miles per hour in many areas. Both the severity and the timing of the weather was unusual, um, according to meteorologists from the area. To have this number of damaging windstorms at one time would be unusual any time of year, the weather tracker uh, said. 
But to have this happen in December is really abnormal. Wednesday's damage came just days after similar destruction hit states, including Kentucky, Illinois, Missouri, Tennessee, killing more than 95 people, excuse me, 85 people, the AP is reporting. In other developments, President Biden says the federal government will cover 100 percent of Kentucky's emergency work for the first 30 days. And um, and uh, aunt remembers her nine year old niece who was killed in the Missouri tornado in an emotional interview. Well, following storms and record rainfall cleanup is underway in California and a Kentucky man rescued his wife and sister in law from a candle factory that had been do- demolished by a tornado. Another Kentucky candle factory worker spoke out saying the tornado survivors will hold a candlelight vigil. There's snow forecast in the northern plains as severe weather is expected for the Midwest Mississippi Valley. Senator Manchin stood his ground, placing President Biden's spending bill in potential jeopardy. Senator Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, cast doubt on a Senate vote on the spending bill by Christmas, putting in peril the president's and Senate Democrats goal of passing the roughly two trillion dollar measure before the self-imposed deadline. Asked uh, on Wednesday whether he would be able to work through issues to hold a vote on the measure before Christmas, Manchin said we haven't even gotten anything back from the parliamentarian, so just procedurally we have nothing to vote on. So that is not expected. Manchin and fellow moderate Senator Kirsten Cinema uh, are considered key holdouts on Biden's social spending bill. Manchin has repeatedly expressed concern about the legislation's cost, warning a broad spending package would be fiscally irresponsible given rising inflation. Manchin is not budging across, according to the Wall Street Journal. Mr. Manchin has so far stood by his central critique of the package that it temporarily funds programs that Democrats intend to later make permanent as a way to disguise the full price of the provision. At issue in the talks between uh, Mr. Biden and Manchin is the child tax credit, which Democrats made more generous, offered to low income Americans who owe no income taxes and begin distributing it monthly. Uh, cash installments earlier this year. Following a phone call with the president earlier this week, Manchin said the two of them discussed different iterations of a bill. Asked then about the possibility of a vote on the bill before Christmas, Manchin said anything's possible. Well, the House passed its version of the Build Back Better Act last month in a party line vote following months of negotiations with progressives and moderates. The Senate version is expected to contain changes given opposition from Manchin and Cinema. Well, President Biden's Build Back Better plan is dead forever, according to Senator Lindsey Graham. And a Fox Business poll says voters, uh, voters rather, got brutally honest about the president's social spending bill. The U.S. Senate approved $778 billion military funding bill after a delay. And a video shows President Biden's judicial nominee, Dale Hole, attacking the Senate and the Electoral College, saying they are anti-democratic. And the White House is touting the diversity of the Biden judicial appointees as the number surpasses Trump's first year. Well, Urban Meyer has been fired by the Jacksonville Jaguars after just 13 games. It came as something of a surprise to many observers. The U.S. Navy successfully test-fired a high-energy laser weapon system. The U.S. downed a drone headed toward a Syrian base with about 200 American troops. Longtime CNN producer John Griffin's devices were seized 17 months before his child sex trafficking arrest. Eric Adams, the new NYPD commissioner, was appointed in front of a mural depicting radicals and a cop killer. An Oklahoma boy's arm was ripped off by a pit bull after trying to pet the dog's puppies, according to police. The siblings of a missing Washington girl, Oakley Carlson, 
age five, said their sister's was no more and had been eaten by wolves. I'm not sure of the ages of the siblings, but that's the story they're giving. A Missouri school district is on the hook for four billion, excuse me, four million dollars for not letting a transgender student use her desired restroom, which would have been the boys room. Bruce Springsteen, he sold his uh, masters and music publishing to Sony for five hundred million dollars. The Fed signals several interest rate hikes in the coming year. Well, a Senate Democrat killed passage of a ban on China's imports made by slaves. Senator Ron Wyden, the Oregon Democrat, stopped the vote Wednesday in a bid to extend President Biden's child tax credit that's been making direct payments of up to $300 per month to parents as part of the COVID-19 relief. Uh, Senator Wyden's move marks the latest in a series of obstacles for the Uyghur Forced Labor Protection, or rather Prevention Act, which authorizes sanctions against companies that facilitate the forced labor of Muslim minority groups, including Uyghurs in Xinjiang, and prohibits imports from the region unless Customs and Border Protection determines that no forced labor was used in its production. Uh, Senator Wyden's top corporate donor, by the way, is Nike. Tom Cotton says John Kerry's lobbying worked. Democrats just blocked a bill to ban imports made from slave labor in China. Remember this next time Democrats talk about human rights. End quote. A million Afghan children are expected to die this summer. Excuse me, this winter. The abandonment of Afghanistan grows more troublesome by the minute. There is a catastrophic collision of events taking place right now in the country following the withdrawal of U.S. troops and the takeover by the Taliban. The economy is tanking. Banks are closed or limiting access to funds. Overseas assets are frozen. Foreign aid from America, Europe and others that kept the country afloat and its hungry fed has been frozen. Salaries are unpaid and unemployment is through the roof. These issues are on top of the pandemic and the severe drought the country is facing. The U.N. warns as many as 90 percent of the population could be in poverty by next year. The Sex and the City creator admitted regret for choosing a career over having children. Candace Bushnell is now 60 and feels truly alone. The New York City Council has banned natural gas hookups in new buildings. Believing this will help the climate, Katie Pavlich points out that NYC continues down the path of, well, Hades. Dana Perino says this is nuts. Decline is a choice. American and Southwest Airlines CEOs are questioning mask mandates on planes. From that story, the comments from American Airlines CEO Doug Parker and Southwest Airlines CEO Gary Kelly came on Wednesday during a Senate committee hearing on the financial support the industry received during the pandemic. I think the case is very strong that masks don't add much, if anything, in the air cabin environment, Kelly said. It's very safe and very high quality compared to other indoor settings. Bethany Mandel weighs in. By now, you've seen the viral videos of the families forcibly removed from flights because their children, usually toddlers, are unable or unwilling to be masked for the duration of the flight. Those videos aren't just traumatic for the unfortunate individuals finding themselves at the center of a firestorm. They have a way of intimidating anyone with a young child or disabled individual unable to mask from even attempting public transportation of any kind. A Russian politician called for the kidnapping of a U.S. congressman. From that story, appearing on state TV, uh, 60 Minutes on Wednesday, State Duma member and chairman of Russia nationalist Rodina Party, uh, the individual openly advocated for the abduction and imprisonment 
of U.S. Congressman Ruben Galejo over comments he made about how to handle the ongoing Ukraine-Russia crisis. Galejo, an Iraq war veteran, responded with words that are not family friendly. Congress passed a defense bill that keeps women out of the draft. The $770 billion package managed to shed a number of progressive efforts along the way. A Florida bill would ban critical race theory in schools and parents could sue school districts who attempt to teach it. A record number of illegal immigrants are escaping into the United States. Julio Rosas looks at how the numbers have skyrocketed as the crisis grows and the rest of the media ignore the issue. An NPR commentator admitted he wants abortion legal so he can stay promiscuous. In his opinion piece, he assumes that many women he sleeps with would just simply kill their unborn children to make him happy. Woke retailers who asked Congress to help uh, amid the smash and grabs supported left-wing police reforms. What goes around apparently came around. An historic uh, severe weather outbreak pummels the Midwest, 100-plus mile-per-hour tornadoes, heat, snow, and dust. And the January 6th committee admits it doctored a text message between Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan. They are currently attempting to hold him, Mark Meadows, in contempt, you might recall. Well, down, but unfortunately not out. The Senate is giving up on passing Biden's Build Back Better Act in 2021. The White House hung up on Senator Rick Scott, who pled for help for an activist being tortured by Cuban communists. And a United Nations grantee used U.S. tax dollars to fund illegal immigration. The NFL released a map falsely claiming that Taiwan belongs to China. Maybe it was intended to be prophetic. Meanwhile, Beijing pays U.S. TikTok mercenaries to hype the Olympics and downplay the boycotts and talk up the virtues of the communist country. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We have news and traffic coming up at the end of this segment. And when we return, Pastor Greg Allen will join me. He's the he is the pastor, I should say, of Bethany Bible Church. We're going to talk about where you find Christmas throughout the scriptures, uh, those footprints in the Bible. And we'll also um, talk about something he's been pondering and encourages us to do the same. So we'll get into that in the second hour of today's program. Well, the Commerce Secretary's husband is a top executive at a big tech firm funded by a Chinese, uh, the Chinese government, and that's raising some eyebrows. Birds of a feather, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin are discussing security cooperation against, guess whom? The United States. An appeals court uh, lets the health care worker vaccine mandate take effect in 26 states. And Twitter oligarchs plan to penalize users who correctly claim vaccinated people can spread COVID. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky in August of uh, this year on Twitter said this. Vaccinated people can spread the virus if they get a breakthrough infection, end quote. However, Twitter oligarchs said, no, nah, you can't say that. Or at least you and I can't say it. Project Veritas revealed another pedophilia scandal involving a CNN producer. And in God We Trust, the number of U.S. adults who identify as Christian dropped 12 percent in just 10 years. The Washington Examiner has more on that. A poll finds 67 percent of vaccinated Americans favor a covid tax for the unvaccinated. By the way, just um, yesterday in the last couple of days, I should say there have been uh, Americans arrested uh, for entering a restaurant unvaccinated. There was actual video uh, showing that uh, it was considered a protest. 
and it only garnered more protest. So the two-tier system is in earnest uh, in place. Georgia elections are the most trustworthy in the country, according to a new Heritage report. Well, on this day in history, 1773, it was the Boston Tea Party. It took place as American colonists board a British ship and dumped more than 300 chests of tea into the Boston Harbor to protest tea taxes. 1944, the Battle of the Bulge in World War II begins as German forces launch a surprise attack against Allied forces through the Ardennes Forest in Belgium and Luxembourg. The Allies eventually would be able to turn back the Germans. 1950, President Harry S. Truman proclaims a national state of emergency in order to fight the world conquest of communist imperialism. That battle continues. 1976, the government halts a swine flu vaccination program following reports of paralysis apparently linked to the vaccine. 1982, Environmental Protection Agency head Ann M. Gorsuch becomes the first cabinet-level officer to be cited for contempt of Congress for refusing to submit documents requested by a congressional committee. 2000, President-elect George W. Bush selects Colin Powell to become the first African-American Secretary of State. 2001, after nine weeks of fighting, Afghan militia leaders claim control of the last mountain bastion of Osama bin Laden's al-Qaeda fighters, but bin Laden himself is nowhere to be seen. And finally, on this day in history, 2008, the Cleveland Clinic announces its surgeons have performed the nation's first near-total face transplant on a severely disfigured woman. The woman, Connie Culp, would go public with her identity in May of 2009. Well, the number of people moving to California has significantly dropped since the pandemic started last year, while the number of people fleeing the state continues to rise, according to a new study. I guess I was a little bit surprised to see that entrances had fallen so much. It wasn't so much that we saw it in a particular area. For me, the surprise was that this was a statewide phenomenon. So writes the co-author of the study from the California Police Lab, Evan White. Uh, The study found a 38% decrease in people moving to California at the end of September of this year compared to the end of March of last year, where the pandemic was at its height. The study found a 12% increase in residents moving out of state. White noted that while the spiked exodus from the state is notable, the drop in people moving to the state is a bigger story. He said the biggest changes were in San Francisco, the Bay Area. There was a 45 percent decrease in entrances from other states in the Bay Area and um, a 12 percent increase in residents leaving for other states. Sacramento County, home of the state's capital, saw a 33 percent decrease in people moving in and a 13 percent increase in people leaving to for other states. Overall, all regions of the state saw anywhere from 25 to 45% de- decline in out-of-state entrances. Well, many American cities are suffering or rather setting records for crime these days thanks to a large in large part to the Black Lives Matter crowd. Uh, i.e. Democrats fomenting unrest and resentment, but there's another villain with whom conservatives are all too well familiar, George Soros. Well, the WABC radio news team went to work to investigate and they began to uh, by telling the tale of Daryl Brooks, the the Waukesha assailant who murdered six people after being released from prison and on just one thousand dollar bail by a Soros backed D.A. John Chisholm. Well, Chisholm's uh, sympathy for the criminal class and apparent indifference to those 
uh, who obey the rules of uh, civilized society reflects the philosophy of the billionaire investor who helped finance his election and those of many other progressive district attorneys across America, George Soros. It's no secret that Soros, with an estimated net worth of $8.6 billion, has been financing a multitude of progressive left politicians and causes for years. It's also no secret that electing radical, criminal-friendly district attorneys is at the top of his list of priorities. Soros-backed DAs in major U.S. cities have instituted brazenly lax enforcement policies that have helped unleash an unprecedented wave of crime across urban America. Interesting observation. We've got news and traffic coming at the top of the hour. And when we return, Pastor Greg Allen with Bethany Bible Church, we're going to look for Christmas in the scriptures. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. I recently had a conversation with Pastor Greg Allen about Christmas, and he sent me what I thought was a brilliant response to some of the questions that I had on the subject. And I've invited him to join us today to talk about the footprints of Christmas in the Bible. Um, I think many of us, we look, of course, to the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke primarily, but others as well, to remind us of the event that took place of the birth of Christ. But all of Scripture is replete with examples and explanations as to why Jesus was to come, what the purpose of his coming might be. And uh, when I mentioned this subject to Pastor Greg Allen, who is the pastor of Bethany Bible Church, he put together what I thought was a brilliant outline of the very thing I had spoken uh, to him via email about. So I've invited him to join us here today to talk about Footprints of uh, Christmas in the Bible and uh, something that he's been reflecting on that might help all of us as the Christmas holiday is approaching. Pastor Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. Well, as I mentioned, I had, uh, through email, sent you a couple of ideas uh, that I've been pondering for Christmas, and you returned to me what I thought was such a tremendous response to the the question of, of looking for the purpose of Jesus coming throughout Scripture, not just those that we're familiar with. And you came up with a phrase that I think you've been thinking about for quite some time that I wanted to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners. Um, you you said that you've been thinking about Christmas and a phrase keeps coming to your mind. Can you share that with our listeners? Well, yes, and there's a good reason why it's been coming to mind, because I felt, like probably a lot of us, a bit of the burdens of the holidays. You know, we all want to celebrate Christmas, and we want to be able to do at the same time all of the things that we think we ordinarily need to be doing. Uh, but the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is, do less, but reflect more. And uh, that's been uh, something that I've been thinking a lot about, and trying to do, although my wife will, will tell you I must not be trying hard enough, but <laughs> I was uh, just thinking about when we have the Christmas holiday coming along, it's, there's so many different things that we feel kind of obliged mm-hmm. to do. And uh, just to be able to have the freedom to say, you know what, I'm going to do less of those uh, incidental things to Christmas and really concentrate more on the meaning of Christmas and really reflect upon it. Yeah. Uh, Marilyn was telling me the other day, my wife, uh, that she was reading about a, a gentleman from another country. She couldn't recall which country he was from, but he uh, he was Muslim, and he was staying with a host family here in the United States. And it was Christmas time, and he thought that he'd really like to be able to just kind of jump into that holiday and learn about it. 
and so he was all in. He wanted to go to all of the celebrations, participate, and hear the stories. But the thing that he said was really interesting. He said, when I look at the, the wonderful holiday you celebrate, but then I look at all of the stuff you do with it, it almost seems like a part-time job on top of your regular job. Hmm. And that, that impacted me, that there's, there's more than we need to do during Christmas, and sadly, it keeps us from reflecting on Christmas as we should. You know, this year I've ended up doing less. I didn't put the Christmas lights up on the house. I didn't put all the decorations up in the house. And I'd like to say it's because I was mindful of the very thing you've just described. I just didn't have the energy to do it. I still feel like I'm kind of recovering from a a challenging year. And so I I just wasn't able to do as much. And it's forced me, I think, to to think more deeply. Uh, And again, I wish I could say I was mindful and this is the decision I made. I was just in the store with a close friend uh, the other day and I was walking through the aisles and looking at all the beautiful Christmas things that were available for purchase. And I turned to her and I said, this has nothing to do with Jesus. You know, so much of what I'm seeing here, it's beautiful. It's lovely. I'd love to have that in my home. I'd love to put that up, but it has nothing to do. Uh, the Savior was born, and most of the people, you know, rummaging around this stuff with me have no idea. And I think what you're saying is so poignant. Many of us have been forced to slow down a bit because of circumstances mm-hmm. outside of our control, the pandemic being one of them. I hope we'll seize the opportunity to really see the value of reflecting more, as you suggested. Well, yes, we're in a similar situation, as you recall. My my wife, Marilyn, has had a chronic illness for Mm -hmm. several years, and that's prevented us from being able to do a lot of things. And praise God, now she's doing better. She's feeling a little more strength, and she's able to decorate the home in the way that I could never do. I was terrible at it. But she's able to do more, but there's more... Uh, energy, I suppose, to do more, but I've been finding I don't want to do more. Mm. Now that we're not forced to kind of par back, I I want to par back willingly. And just to be able to enjoy the the significance of the the holidays. We get so busy with it that we just lose touch of it. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's good to be able to do that, even if it's (laughs) somewhat forced Upon us. Yeah. If our busyness prevents us from fully appreciating all that God has done for us through his son and we are followers of Jesus, it also robs us of the energy we might have to share that tremendous truth and opportunity yeah. with others who have no idea. You mentioned that this Sunday you're planning on asking your church family to enjoy the words of John 1 verses 1 through 5. Can you share those with us? Yes. Yes. Uh, this is to my mind the the premier passage about Christmas. And it's just, I just think of these words. These words are uh, they're, they're the words of God, God's words to us. But just the beauty of them. Mm-hmm. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, And by the way, I'm reading there from the New King James Version, that word, the the darkness did not comprehend it. You can translate that 
the darkness did not overcome it. And I hadn't noticed this before, but that's put in the past tense. Mm-hmm. The darkness did not and cannot. And will not. And, and when you see, and will not, and will not. And uh, I don't want to, I want to be careful how I say this, but there's so many things that encrust themselves around this holiday that have nothing to do with it. It's almost like the darkness hiding, but it can't. And so there's just this personal resolve. You know, it could even be that we could say the enemy of our souls gets us so busy with stuff that we're not paying attention to the meaning anymore. But by God's grace, the darkness does not overcome it. Yeah, and I think that, as you pointed out, I think that is oftentimes by design. We're not doing wrong things. We're not doing bad things. We're just distracted and not taking the opportunity to embrace the most important thing. And that robs us of the tremendous joy and gratitude that ought to spring from us during this season. And again, um, the impetus to share with others um, the, the virtue of that light that we have enjoyed. You know, going back to that phrase, do less, but reflect more. Given what we're saying here, I think we have to be intentional about it. Mm-hmm. We have to make a personal decision to do less. And and when I think of that, I think doing less, I am, I'm good on that. I'd like to do a whole lot less. On, <laughs> on this. Uh, but uh, uh, if that's where I stop, I'm missing the point. The reason I need to do less is so that I could do more of the right thing, and that is to reflect on the significance of Christmas. I read uh, first. Uh, I read John chapter one verses one through five, but verse fourteen is is really where it, it seals itself down for us. And that's where it says, "And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth." And it just seems so important that we make sure we do what is needed. I mean, you know, there are things to do, but make sure that they are the right things to do and make room, make plenty of room Mm -hmm. to reflect on the wonder that God the Son became flesh and walked on this earth as one of us to save us and to not allow ourselves to miss the glory of that. If we did nothing else, that's plenty. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Pastor Greg Allen. He is the pastor at Bethany Bible Church. We're talking about footprints of Christmas in the Bible and perhaps doing less in view of reflecting more. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Greg Allen, pastor of Bethany Bible Church. Uh, we had a brief, I guess it was an email conversation in which he wrote back to me what I thought was a brilliant exposition on this season of Christmas and the footprints that we find in Scripture of Christmas um, that we are worth remembering and pondering th- through this season. In your email, you wrote, we find that this wonderful truth, and you're referring to uh, the Scripture in John that you just shared with us, Um, that God sent his only son to dwell among us in human flesh is a truth that leaves its footprint all over the Bible. Christmas is the great presupposition of scripture. It was forward-looking hope of the Old Testament prophets, and it was backward-looking affirmation 
of the New Testament. Uh, I love the way you put that because Christmas and the coming of the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, is all throughout Scripture. Yes, it is. In fact, Jesus made that point uh, to us in the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke. I'm turning to it real quickly here. Uh, where he was with his disciples after the resurrection, and he talked with them, and he said, uh, uh, let's see where it is. Uh, he, he spoke to them about all of the things that were written to him about him in the Scriptures. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And he said, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Uh, he, he is the whole subject of the Bible. From beginning to end, from all the way from Genesis chapter 3, where the seed of the woman is promised to crush the head of the serpent, all the way to Revelation 22, where he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords forever. He's the theme of the scriptures. And I would say from the standpoint of human experience upon this earth, it is Christmas that is the great presupposition of all that we discover about God's relationship with man on earth. Uh, the fact that God, the Son, became one of us, took our sins upon himself, and died in our place, and lives so that we might live through him. He is the great theme. So Christmas really is essential to, to you, know, you know, it says in the passage that we read earlier that Jesus Christ is the light of man. He's the life which is the light of men. And uh, there is no other but him. That's right. You make the point, again, in the email you sent to me, you always keep in mind that none of it can make any sense if we don't remember what Luke tells us at the very beginning of his gospel, that as the angel told Mary in Luke one thirty-five. Can you read that for us? Do you have it handy? Oh, yeah, I sure do. Well, yeah, the idea there is in reading... You know, well, let me let me back up yeah. a little bit. I've been reading through the gospel of Luke in my private, my personal time, and I'm always impressed whenever I read the gospel of Luke. I think that's supposed to be true of all the gospels. But when I read the Gospel of Luke particularly, and I read the stories of Jesus' compassion and his mercy, the amazing miracles that he performed and the ways he, he helped people and served and demonstrated great power, all of it presupposes something that was stated at the very beginning. And it, none of it makes any sense without this. It tells us that the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she would bear a son, and she asked the question, how could this be? since I do not know a man. And the angel told her in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. That is the explanation for everything else that we read in the story of Luke about the life of Jesus and his ministry to us and his resurrected life as well. So often I think we think about, um, and I'm overgeneralizing, but we think about Christmas and the baby in the manger without taking advantage of what we now enjoy, and that is the completed scripture, the full story. First of all, why he came, it wasn't just for the the beauty of that simple birth, but the, the story, the backstory, if you will, the plan that God had from the very beginning. It is such an amazing gift that God has given us. And again, if we're not taking the time to reflect, we're going to miss the beauty and the majesty of the full story of what God has done. And the scripture you just uh, mentioned in Luke, the first chapter, verse 35, is another aspect of that tremendous story. Yes, yes. It, it, 
Well, it just amazes me how many people think only of the baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, baby the baby's kind of safe. Was, you know? <laughs> the baby, well, yeah, the baby, it's wonderful. It's a marvel to think that God became so weak and so frail and was born into humanity, but he grew, he lived, he lived a sinless life. Uh, he lived a sinless life for you and me. He didn't do it for himself. He lived it for me and you. And then he died in our place for our sins, which we committed against him. And so the, the story of the baby is just the beginning. Uh, you know, the Gospel of Luke is, is wonderful in telling us the life of Jesus and the amazing things he did, and none of them would make sense without Christmas. Hmm. Um, thinking about, for example, uh, there's the story of how when Peter threw out his net, I always love this story, Peter threw out his fishing net at the command of Jesus. He had been fishing all night, nothing, nothing. And Jesus told him, cast your net over there. And Peter said, okay, I'll do it. And he threw the net out and caught a great catch. And then he fell before Jesus. And I don't mean to be irreverent, but I'm grateful that Peter didn't fall before Jesus and say, work for me. (laughs) He he said, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He came to realize who it was he was standing before. How can that be explained except that he is God in the flesh? And uh, he left his fishing business and, and then followed Jesus from then on. Or there's a story about the centurion. I always, you know, did you ever notice that centurions in the Bible are always amazing people? They're always remarkable men. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the centurion comes to, uh, calls for Jesus to come and heal a, a servant of his. And as Jesus is making his way there, the centurion sends some of his other servants and says, don't come, don't come to the house, I'm not worthy to have you come. But he said, just speak the word. I'm a man under authority, and I know how authority works. I say this, and they go do it, and I say that, and they go do it. You just speak the word. He said, say the word, and my servant will be healed. And it happened. Just as Jesus granted the man what he asked for. How could that be done? Except this is God in flesh. Or, this this always amazes me, there's a story of how Jesus was walking along in the city of Nain, <clears throat> there was a woman who had a widowed woman who whose son had died, and there the funeral was, procession was walking by. Jesus just walks up and kind of ruins the funeral. He just <laughs> walks up and, and stops the casket, and places his hand on it, and the boy rises up and he's alive. And the people who saw it said, "Quote: A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people." Not only explainable by the fact that he is God in the flesh. Uh, there's that time when he stood up in the boat in the storm and he commanded the waves and they were still. And it describes the disciples as being afraid and marveling. And they said to each other, who can this be? For he commands even the wind and the water and they obey him. That's because of Christmas. Or uh, the, the man at the tombs Jesus uh, visited the Gerenes, and there was a man who was indwelt by an army of evil spirits. And the man, when he saw Jesus, cried out. I I guess I'd say the man with a demonic uh, army in him had some kind of credibility when he said this. He said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. And when Jesus commanded the spirits came out of him, and he was he was well. Only the Son of God can do that. 
So it all points back in my mind when I'm reading the story of the Gospel of Luke or any of the Gospels, it all points back to an amazing announcement that the angel made to Mary or that the shepherds heard in the fields that this is the Son of God in human flesh. Mm. It always amazes me that it was just another night in Bethlehem when these events took place, that the promise God made at the beginning of time was being fulfilled, and most of the world was just going about its business. Uh, Who knows what they might have been doing at that time? And yet God made a promise um, and kept that promise on that night. And it was the beginning of the unfolding of a tremendous story that resulted in our having access through the Son, this baby in a manger who lived a sinless life, uh, having access to the throne of grace where you and I can approach boldly because of what Jesus has done. That only comes from knowing what the scriptures teach and um, understanding the the full meaning, the fullness of Christmas, uh, God keeping his promise, which he explained throughout the, the Old Testament and um, further explained through the new. It, it's t- such a fascinating season, and we stand to miss um, mm-hmm. the tremendous gift if we are distracted by other things. You know, I, we call it the footprints of Christmas through the Bible, and the, the footprints are also left in everyday life. And if we're distracted by all of the trinkets of Christmas, and we're not looking down to see the footprints and where they lead, uh, we'll miss it. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something earlier I wanted to go back to. You were saying that in your personal Bible study, now you are a pastor, you're a shepherd, you're an adjunct professor, um, you're a man of the cloth, if you will. Um, and it may surprise some of our listeners to know that you have a, a personal time in the scriptures for your own soul's sake. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. wanted to just talk a little bit about the importance of being in God's word. And for someone such as yourself, we might assume, well, he's above that. He just teaches others. But it's an important part of your walk that you spend time in God's Word. Every single day, uh, my wife Marilyn and I, I would say for the past 43, 44 years now, we've created a little journal sheet where we just write every day uh, the passage, that the, the scriptures that we're reading, and the passage and what God has to say from us in that passage. We do that individually. But I would say that's been the greatest habit of my life. Mm-hmm. That's been the greatest mainstay I can think of. Um, I have a habit of uh, trying to keep up with it as best I can of reading two chapters from the old and one from the new. Uh, you mentioned that I uh, have uh, work at Multnomah University, and that's one of the things that the students I get working with, uh, I try to get them to do the same thing. Uh, get a Bible with a couple of ribbons in it, you know, put one ribbon for the Old Testament, mm-hmm. one for the new, and just read two chapters from the old, one from the new, do that every day, and a little over a year, you've read through the whole Bible. But uh, no, it's it's the greatest habit. And, you know, we're talking about making sure that we are uh, doing less so we can reflect more. Uh, making sure we protect that time in God's Word, especially at this time of year. I'm thinking of the person who might say, well, I've I've read the Bible. I read through it once, maybe twice. The Scripture describes the Word as living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. As a pastor, why is it important, you know, if I attend church and I'm hearing you speak as a pastor or others around the the community, why is it important for me to take time daily to open God's word, to open my heart and to to read, to give the Holy Spirit access to teach and guide and, and so on? Why is it important for me to do that on a regular basis? I think probably the best way to think of it is the difference between processed food and 
just the original good stuff, you know? <laughs> if, if I'm reading somebody's already been chewed food, I'm not getting the, I'm not getting the nutrition <laughs> from it. I need to meet with God personally. He speaks to me through his word. And, uh, oh, just, you know, if, if folks listening in would just give it a try. You find that it's a habit that makes all the difference in your world, in the world, and you, you can't, you can't not do it. You just, uh, to have that personal encounter with God, I would say that's a, a, another part of it. Pray before you read, and then read, and then write, and then pray after you've read and written. Keep the conversation two-way, and it, it really makes all the difference in the world. And you'll find that uh, you get more out of the sermons, too. And, and if, if while you're reading the Bible, you pray for your pastor, he might do better, too. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to continue our conversation with Pastor Greg, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with uh, Greg Allen, pastor of Bethany Bible Church. We're talking about the footprints of Christmas in the Bible, and there are many of them if we have ears to hear and take the time uh, to read and meet with him on a daily basis. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Greg Allen, who is pastor of Bethany Bible Church. We're talking about the footprints of Christmas found throughout the Bible. And he's encouraging us to do less and reflect more, which seems to me to be a principle altogether consistent with what the scriptures teach. There's nowhere in the Bible where we are commanded to celebrate or even recognize the birth of Christ in any extraordinary way. But it, it, we, I think we feel compelled because if we recognize the tremendous gift that, that God has given us through his son and the, the fullness of his ministry to us, where he now sits at the right hand of the father and makes intercession for us, we have access to the throne of grace. I think it just draws celebration um, out of us. What are your thoughts on the notion of celebrating a Christmas and how to do that in a way that's honoring to God? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm an expert on that because I'm not very good at putting together uh, celebrations. Uh, my wife is definitely the expert there. But I, I can speak from the standpoint of a sinner. Um, that I can I, relate to. Yeah, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up with Christian influence. Uh I uh, was, frankly, quite resolved to the idea that I was going to hell. Uh, I was an atheist, uh, but I was a lousy atheist. i got to add that. I wasn't a very good one because <laughs> I, I didn't believe in God and I was afraid of him. You know, that doesn't make any sense. But I, uh, I, I didn't have any influence at all. And um, when uh, the way I came to Jesus Christ was, I, of all things, I heard a Billy Graham crusade television. I didn't know I didn't know who I was listening to. Uh, a wonderful woman named Ethel Waters was on, and I was just totally engrossed with her and her singing and her mm-hmm. smile, and she clearly had Christ in her, and I wanted to know more about that, and it turned out it was Billy Graham. And, uh, and he talked about how to believe and how to put my trust in Jesus, and I believed. And uh, I, I, I had, by the way, the, the opportunity to tell Cliff Barrows personally that his voice was the first voice I ever heard after I became a Christian. Mm. On the, and so he said, oh, really? How about that? And I love to hear him talk to me about that. But after I came to Jesus Christ, I then began to see Christmas differently. 
I put my faith in Jesus, and I knew him as my Savior and my Lord. And then I found a church. I didn't know there were good ones and bad ones. I just went to the one down the road, and it happened to be a good one. And they had the Christmas celebration, the candlelight Christmas Eve service. And I went to it for the very first time as a believer. And it was wondrous to think about the one who loved me and died for me, being born for me. Uh, Christmas can't mean to you what it should mean to you if you don't have that relationship. Mm -hmm. If you haven't come to terms with the fact that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior and God has provided that Savior in such a wondrous way, once that happens, suddenly the significance of Christmas becomes personal. That's what happened for me. Uh, So in terms of how do I celebrate it, I try... I try, I keep struggling to do less so that I can reflect more on on what the the personal salvational significance of Christmas means to me. Hard to do sometimes, but that's that's how I tend to celebrate. I of course spend time with family. I love the food. The food is a particularly important thing to me, and I love the the decorations and the songs and. Most of them. I don't like all of them, but most of them. And uh, but but it all, it, all the significance is all based on that personal sense mm-hmm. of Jesus. Jesus Christ loved me and came into this world for me, and now He lives forever. One day I will see Him, who was born for me, and who died for me, and who ever lives for me. That's how Christmas becomes meaningful to me. Yeah, yeah. In the email I've been referencing uh, that you sent to me, you make the point that the footprints of Christmas are all over the Bible. We need to give ourselves time to do less of other things, but reflect more on that. And then you write that the Bible tells us about the purposes Jesus came into the world to fulfill. And these two are footprints. And you make reference to Luke 19, verses 9 through 10. Um, this is when uh, Jesus went to the home of the notorious center, um, uh, Zacchaeus, can you talk a little bit about that and how that too is a footprint in Scripture of, uh, yes. of Christmas? Well, by footprint here, I mean that you you get the clear indications of what the purpose of Christmas was yes. for. Jesus went to this man, tax collector named Zacchaeus, and nobody liked him. He was just he was just a, he, he was a kind of a close to a gangster, but people. Uh, watched as Jesus was coming by, and he's the one that climbed up the tree to see Jesus. And Jesus said, come down, I'm going to your house today. And when Jesus came, Zacchaeus confessed all of his sins and turned from them. And then Jesus said this in Luke 19, 9-10. He said, today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And right there you have a footprint of Christmas. Mm. Because this is why Jesus, the Son of God, willingly left the glory of heaven, took full humanity upon himself and was born into this world as one of us. It was to seek and to save that which is lost. And here I am, a former lost guy. And I, I'm, I was right up there in the tree with Zacchaeus, you know. I was up a tree too. And uh, I... I'm one of those that he came to seek and to save. 
That's what that means to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was up a different tree, but I think we all start in the same place. We are separated <laughs> from God by virtue of our our sin, our sin nature, which all of us have inherited. But praise be to God. He has provided a way for us to be yeah. reconciled to him through his son. You also um, made reference to uh, the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, verse 45, the time that he uh, taught his disciples that whoever among them desired to be great have to become a servant of all, reminding them that he himself came as a servant. That's right. You know, this is, I preached not long ago from the Gospel of Mark. To my mind, this is the key verse of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus was talking to his disciples about, they were arguing about who, imagine arguing about which of you is the greatest in front of Jesus. But uh, I'm I'm not that bright either. And, um, but Jesus told them that if you want to be great in his kingdom, you must be the servant of all. And he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Boom, another footprint of Christmas. Why did he come? It was to not be served, but to give his life a ransom for us. What a gift uh, we've been given. Yes. Yeah. There, there are some others, if I may. There's uh, one uh, from, you know, you, you and I talked a little bit about this before our, our, our conversation here, and I always appreciate that because I feel like we, we think an awful lot of uh, You were mentioning some passages from First John, and I wanted to take an opportunity to ex- uh, expound on those mm-hmm. two. Please. Uh, the Gospel writer John wrote some short letters. There's, some of them are hardly bigger than postcards. And uh, he, he, as John always does, writes short sentences that are profound and you'll be working on for the rest of your life. But he wrote about uh, uh, what, he, what, what I would say would be footprints of Christmas. He said, for whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he, that is Jesus, was manifest to take away our sins, another footprint. He was manifest for the purpose of taking away our sins. Or in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, he talks about how the devil is the great tempter who, who uh, tempted our first parents into sin. And as a result, uh, we, we've all fallen in Adam and Eve. But uh, John wrote that the great declaration of the purpose of Christmas is this, in 1 John 3, 8, for the purpose... For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why he was born into this world. Or think of what he wrote about for the purpose of Christmas in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10. through 10. Uh, this, this demonstrates God's love to us. It says, For in this love was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only Son, his only begotten Son, into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, the great demonstration of God's love is that he took the first step. He took the initiative to send his son for us. I'm so grateful that he did. Yes. And these are are little, I, uh, I don't know, footprints is the best, way you put it, but the footprints of Christmas are all over the Bible. Yeah. It's marvelous. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back to wrap things up with Pastor Greg Allen with Bethany Bible Church. We're just talking about 
the value of doing less and reflecting more and looking for footprints of Christmas in the scriptures. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Greg Allen from Bethany Bible Church. He's also an adjunct professor with Multnomah University. We're talking about the footprints of script of Christmas, rather, that are found throughout uh, the scriptures and just how um, meaningful Christmas is if we find ourselves and deliberately, intentionally do a little bit less in order to reflect uh, more. You made mention earlier, Pastor Greg, that uh, Christmas and the, the significance of it really started when you came to a relationship with Christ, that it's a wonderful, warm holiday for the most part for people who set it aside to celebrate as a cultural event. But actually coming to faith in Christ made all the difference in terms of recognizing the true meaning and value of Christmas. Can you talk a, a little bit about that and the best way to celebrate Christmas, particularly for those who may not fully understand what you mean by that personal relationship? You know, that reminds me of a story that I heard once about a fellow who was really into weddings. He uh, he thought weddings were beautiful, and he thought they were wonderful. Uh, he liked to collect the, the wedding announcements. He liked to kind of collect wedding paraphernalia and things like that. But he said, it's interesting, though, that with all of the stuff that I have about weddings, somehow there's just something missing. Well, he wasn't married, <laughs> and that could that could affect that, you know. And and I think in the same way with Christmas, that the the story of Christmas is the story of a person, a divine person, a wonderful person, who in love condescended to step into the condescended is a maybe a hard word to use. I don't know, but he he left from so high and so glorious and so lofty a place to come to the this earth filled with sin and filled with darkness. He truly did take the, low, the, the furthest step down to reach to us and enter into this world as one of us. And if I don't have a relationship with him, that doesn't, that doesn't mean what it should. I don't have a personal investment. And so I really believe that the way to uh, understand the significance of Christmas is by placing our faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. You know, we've talked earlier about the footprints of Christmas as it's found in the scriptures. I would suppose that the greatest scriptural footprint, if we may put it that way, would be a passage of scripture that I think is probably the best known passage of scripture in the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's John three sixteen, and let's add verse 17 there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And here's the glorious good news. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And the way that we have the true impact personally of Christmas is by saying yes to the Savior, to placing our, place our trust in what he did on the cross for us. Uh, let's include Christmas to acknowledge that he trans, 
transitioned from that great heights into glory to this earth for us and was born a helpless infant, one of us without sin, so that he might bear our sins in our place on the cross. Christmas is significant because of the cross. And when I place my faith in what that Savior born on Christmas did for me on the cross, I say yes to it. I say, yes, I believe that Jesus died for me and I I accept his sacrifice for me. Then I am washed clean of my sin. I'm made welcomed into the very presence of God as his child. Life anew, eternal life begins. I am born again. And suddenly everything, including Christmas, takes on a new significance. I think that's the best way uh, you want to put it this way, <laughs> we we become a great footprint of Christmas on this earth by saying yes to Jesus Christ. Yes. You know, there are lots of words like wonder and, um, and joy that are applied to this season, and people try their hardest to muster up that uh, that intention. I want it to be joyous and wonderful. I think I've mentioned here before, I was in one of the grocery stores not long ago, and um Joy to the World was playing in the background, and two shoppers were going at it with some frozen meat because one of them, <laughs> one of them wanted the. You know, I'm, I'm. This is such an odd juxtaposition because you have Joy to the World playing in the background, people who are preparing to celebrate the holiday season, and they're literally fighting one another with frozen meat. And they had to call in additional personnel to separate the two. And I thought, you know, that's kind of the world's effort to muster up this feeling of warmth and and. Uh, enjoy uh, that falls short. But you're absolutely right that when you have a relationship with Christ, it makes all the difference. It doesn't really matter if there's tinsel on the tree. I mean, it's nice that it's there. Uh, it doesn't matter what you, you get in terms of gifts. Uh, it's nice to get wonderful gifts that you were hoping for, but it doesn't really rest in any of that. And I can hear a Christmas carol, you know, one of the sacred hymns played just about anywhere. And I'm immediately transformed into a a heart of gratitude and wonder mm-hmm. thinking about what Christ has done. Yes, yes. It's so sad to hear that, you know, I laughed when you told that story, but <laughs> it's kind of absurd. But there's the whole of a life that is lived that way, mm-hmm. missing the point completely. I suppose that that's a, that's a way to describe how, how some people have experienced Christmas. They've missed the point. And, uh, by God's grace, uh, we catch the point and we, we've, we experience that renewed sense of wonder. And I think, too, uh, if we are purposefully doing less uh, and we're reflecting more, we're in a better position to share that light, to share yes. that genuine joy with others who might have an experience that falls far short. And certainly during this pandemic, when so much has been lost and people are uh, worried about the future, um, what a tremendous opportunity. People tend to be a little more receptive to share what we have come to know through our relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope we won't miss that opportunity, but I think reflecting more makes us more likely to be willing and prepared to share. Yes. You know, that reminds me of something that my wife Marilyn is doing. Uh, she has ordered a big box full of the copies of the Gospel of John. And she sticks them in her purse everywhere we go now because she's able to get out more. We go to a store and we're buying something and she whips into her purse, pulls out a copy of the Gospel of John and says, here, this is for you. And she gives people the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. You know, a great way to, to, to pass this on 
is perhaps to get a copy of the Gospel of John and just hand it to somebody and say, by the way, you might want to read the first five verses. That really tells you what Christmas is all about. <laughs> you know, and there, there's certainly some ways that we can, we can uh, you know, fighting over frozen meat won't do it. <laughs> we can still celebrate uh, uh, Christmas by passing on the significance of it and the message of it from God's own word. Yeah, what a what a great idea. Well, Pastor Greg, it's always a pleasure, and today is certainly no exception to have you with us. And Merry Christmas to you and your sweet wife, Marilyn. Well, thank you, and Merry Christmas to you and Dan and to your wonderful mother. Thank you so much. God Again, bless. Pastor Greg Allen, pastor of Bethany Bible Church, talking about the footprints of Christmas in the Bible. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're out of time. I want to thank James Blend and... Um, Oh, I can't think of Sam's last name, Moppin. And Sam Moppin, we'll introduce him next week uh, for engineering today's program and James for producing as well. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day and have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.